Hey, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to John chapter 15 and Psalm chapter 1. Those are the two chapters we'll be primarily talking about this morning as we begin our new series called Faith Forward. And uh, the idea behind this uh, really comes from the fact that most of us that are here, it's because we made a decision that we wanted to follow after Jesus. We recognize that he was God, that he was so good to us, that through the cross that he had made a way for us to be saved from our sins, to be adopted into the family of God. And when that happened, when you had that realization and you made the decision that you were going to follow Jesus, you were filled with passion. You were filled with hope for the future that God had called you to and for his plans and purposes for your life. And you wanted to be used by God to do something incredibly significant for his kingdom. And what happens is a lot of times that passion, uh, it, it takes off. And it's like a fire when you first start it and it explodes and it grows really well. But eventually, if you don't keep feeding that fire, if you don't keep adding fuel to it, eventually that fire begins to plateau and then as the fuel source burns out, it starts to decline. And if you don't do something, eventually that fire that had been started, that it burns so hot, will eventually come to the place of where it goes out and it's as cold as the world that is around it. And that same kind of thing happens to us in our faith, is that our faith is something that we have to constantly be tending. It's something that we have to constantly be looking at and say, how do I continue to grow in the faith? This good, miraculous work that Jesus started in me. How is it that I continue to live a life that is producing fruit that comes from following after Jesus and allowing that faith to grow and to develop? And it's not just something that we want or that we hope for. It's actually what Jesus himself wants for us. It says in John chapter 15, verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And what Jesus is saying in all of this is that, first of all, you all think that you're following after me because you chose to follow after me, but the reality is I'm the one who chose you. That's the great reality of this relationship that we have with Jesus. We didn't choose him. We might have chosen to follow after him, but he's the one who chose us. None of us chose to come into existence. None of us willed ourselves into being. That was something that only God is able to do. He's the one who gave us life. He chose for us to live. And the reason why he chose us was so that we would be a people who are appointed to go and to bear fruit. And it says not just that we're going to bear fruit, but we're going to bear fruit that's going to last. What Jesus is saying is not that every one of us has to go out and become farmers so that we can produce fruit. What he's speaking to is a spiritual thing, is that we have to live a life so that when faith comes inside of us, it, 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 produce, it grows and it turns into a plant that in its due season will produce fruit for us, and not just fruit, but fruit that's going to last forever. That means spiritual things. Uh, there are things like... The life that we live, is it bearing fruit? Meaning, are we making more disciples of Jesus? Because when we make a disciple of Jesus, that is fruit that lasts forever. Souls are eternal. They never fade. They never disappear. So when we're about our life, if our faith in us is producing the fruit of making more disciples, then that's a fruit that's going to last forever. And Jesus isn't saying, I hope you do this with your life. What he's saying is that as someone who's following after me, this is my expectation for you. My command for you is to be someone who goes and bears fruit, fruit that's going to last forever. That's the call of Jesus for every single one of us. But if we don't make deliberate decisions and develop deliberate disciplines in our life, that's not going to happen. 
It's the start of a new month, and I was looking at my credit card statement to see if anybody in Nigeria had been making any purchases that I wasn't aware of. And as I'm doing that, I'm looking at it, and it says uh, November 1st. And on there is a charge for Powerhouse Gym. And I'm like, Powerhouse Gym? Oh, yeah. I joined that like a year and a half ago. Because what happened was a year and a half ago, I was getting ready for a surgery. It was about a month before the surgery, and I thought, I'm going to go get in shape for it so that I'm in better cardio shape. I'm going to recover quicker from it, and it'll be really good. And so it's a two-month minimum commitment. I'm like, well, whatever. It's worth it. I'll spend two months' worth of money, like $80, whatever it is, so that I can be in good shape and recover quicker from my surgery. Well, after the surgery, I start having that realization of, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. I am getting older, so if I want to age well and have a long, healthy life, I need to have some vision for what it is that I want to be like, and I'm going to go back to the gym. It's not just going to be a two-month thing. I'm going to be working out of the gym for the next 20 years. I'm going to get abs. Like, I've heard of them. I've seen them on magazine covers. I think I'm going to get me some of them. And so like, as soon as I recover from this, as soon as I get the all clear from the doctor, I'm going to go back to the gym and I'm going to be fit for the rest of my life. I'm going to be like the Jack LaLanne, going to be almost 100 years old and doing push-ups and pulling boats, swimming and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, I'm like waiting while well, the doctor hasn't given me the clear yet. Well, I don't want to cancel my subscription because I still have this idea of what I'm going to be someday and I'm really motivated about it. You know, like, it's really easy to be motivated about the gym when you're talking about going to the gym in the future and you're not actually doing it right now. <laughs> and then I get the all clear from the doctor, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm still a little bit sore. I don't know if I want to, like, you know, hurt myself. And eventually the passion for it starts to fade because ice cream looks so good. And laying on my couch sounds so much better than going to the gym. Because when I go to the gym, it's like I'm not hanging out with the cool people at the gym that are like throwing down massive weights and grunting and like looking in mirrors. I'm the guy that's on the elliptical machine next to the people. So how are your grandchildren doing? You know, <laughs> like that's, I'm that guy at the gym. And eventually my passion for it wanes to the point of now, like a year and a half later, I'm like, what? I'm still paying for that? Like I had no idea that I was still paying $40 a month to, for the gym and not even going at all. I'm probably their favorite customer. I cost them nothing. And all I do is pay them. But what happens is spiritually, the same thing happens in our lives. We have this vision. God's going to do this incredible, miraculous thing in my life. I'm going to grow. He has these plans and purposes for my life. I'm going to be a passionate follower of Jesus. But then over time, if we're not careful, it can become something that's always this idea and a dream that we never actually engage in, and eventually the passion for it dies, and you forget that you were ever a member of the body of Jesus Christ. That's not what God wants for us. That's not what I want for any of us. I want us as Radiant Church to be people who, when we leave this place today, we love Jesus more than we did when we got here. When we leave this place, we're more passionately committed to Jesus and his call on our life than we were when we woke up this morning. And not just today, but next week. I want us to be even more passionate about Jesus and his call next week than we are this week. A year from now, a decade from now, some of you that are younger, 50 years from now, that you're still following Jesus. And all those dreams that God deposited inside of your heart, they weren't just dreams that ended up dying, like my dream of having a six-pack someday. It's a dream that you see the fulfillment of. And when you cross over into eternity, you're just blown away by the, the fruit that is there, the reward that is there because of the faith that was developed inside of your heart that grew throughout the course of your life and produced fruit. But the only way that's going to happen is if we make deliberate decisions and develop deliberate disciplines in our life. 
Jesus is talking about farming a lot all the time because the people that he's speaking to, most of them are farmers for a living. And even if he did something else, he was still farming in some way to continue to get food because food was a really hard thing to come by back then. So everybody understands analogies that are related to farming. And when Jesus is talking about faith and what happens to us, in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, he says that there's seed that's scattered on the ground, and that's the message of the gospel. That's the faith that starts in our heart when we believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, for eternal life that we receive from him, for following after him. That's the seed that all of us have. And the seed has to be the right seed. It has to be good seed. My mother, when she was a young girl, they had a pet rabbit at her house, and her family was very proper. They weren't vulgar about anything, so they called the rabbit droppings rabbit berries. And she thought, well, berries have seeds, so I'm going to plant the rabbit berries in the yard, and I'm going to grow more rabbits. She planted rabbit berries, but no rabbits grew because that's not a good seed. That's not how that works. Sometimes when we come to Jesus, we have to make sure we're receiving the real message of the gospel, that the right seed is what's being implanted in our hearts. It's not Jesus is going to make me rich. It's not Jesus is going to make me more comfortable, that he's going to take care of all of my problems. It's not that Jesus is always going to make sure I'm healthy or whatever it is. It's that the message of the gospel is that there's a God who loves us and that we were separated from him by our sins, but he went to the cross, he died to atone for our sins, and now we come back to him, adopted into his family, as people who say, Jesus, my life is yours now. I'm following after you. You're the one who gets to define truth for me. You're the one who gets to define reality for me. And I'm going to spend every moment of my life following after you because you are King Jesus and I am your humble servant. That's the message that we have to receive. When we receive that, the seed is good. Everything that you need for faith to bear fruit in your life is contained in that seed. But the second thing that there has to be for fruit to be born from that seed is it has to be good soil that it's planted in. If you were to go, and I've, I've done this, I have some family that are blueberry farmers, and so we would try to plant uh, little blueberries uh, at our house, but it wouldn't grow because it's the wrong kind of soil for blueberries. And when Jesus talks about it, he says that the soil can have things in it, like it can just be a really hard path that seed falls on, it's compacted. And then the birds come and snatch it away, and the seed can't grow in that. That's talking about a hardness of our hearts, so we reject the message of the gospel. It can be that there's rocks that are in the soil, and those are things that the roots can't grow through, they can't penetrate, and so it ends up being a shallow root which causes the plant to die. And that can be something like there's unforgiveness in your heart, or there's an expectation that you placed on Jesus that you didn't see come into fulfillment, so now it becomes a hardness inside of your heart. Maybe it's something you're reading the Bible and you come across like, what? God defines truth as what? I can't accept that. And that becomes a rock of offense inside of you that keeps your faith from continuing to grow and producing fruit. Then he says that sometimes in the soil, the soil can be good, but there's other things that are growing in that soil. There are other seeds that are competing for the same resources. So even though the soil's good and the seed's good, it's choked out because it's competing for these other things. And that can be other desires that you have for other things that aren't Jesus, natural, sinful desires that are inside of your heart. It can be things like career or even your family that's stealing all of your time and all of your attention away from following after the call of Jesus on your heart. So the soil, your heart, that's the second thing that has to be there. But the third thing is uh, something I think a lot of us overlook, and it says this in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season 
and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So that third thing that has to be there, there has to be the seed and the soil, but then also there has to be the right environment. This tree was planted in a place that could sustain life. It was planted in a place where the tree could thrive because there's the river that's going next to it. It's nourishing it so that the good seed and the good soil is in the right place. If you planted that tree in the middle of the desert, what's going to happen? It's going to die because it's not in the right environment for the tree to grow. If you planted it north of the tree line, if you were to go that far, you might be able to have good soil, it might be a good seed, but it's the wrong environment for the tree to be able to grow and to thrive and to produce fruit in. And what God is saying is this, is that we have to make sure that we are living in the right environment. It's not that we run away from, it's like, oh, run away from sinners, I've got to, you know, save myself from the world that's around me. That's not what it's talking about. If Christians behave that way, some do, but if that was the way that we all acted, then nobody, none of us would have ever come to faith in Jesus. I'm so grateful that other people, when I was living far from God, were investing in me, explaining and demonstrating the gospel to me so that I could come to the place of faith in Jesus. But what it's saying is that we don't live like they live. We don't approach. We don't think like they think. We live a life that is different from how people that aren't following after Jesus live. We have a different environment that we live in. And the best environment for that faith is the church. Really, the church, the gathering of the family of God, the ecclesia, that's what it's called in, in the Greek, is that that's the gathering of the people. That's the environment that God made where we could have our faith, receive the seed of faith inside of it, have it be in the good soil of our heart that's been prepared by the Holy Spirit, and in the environment where now our faith is able to grow and to produce fruit that's going to last forever. Really, this first discipline that we have to develop, this first different way or deliberate decision that we have to make if we want to have a faith that lasts a lifetime, that makes our faith move forward, is that we have to have a love and a commitment for the church. And the reason for that, what makes the church so unique and what makes it the good environment for our faith to grow in is that the church is really a family. That's what it is. It's we're brothers and sisters that are here, not by nature, but we were adopted into the family of God. We have a father who loves us and has adopted us into his family. And by doing so, made every single one of us a joint heir with Christ Jesus. All of us are equal in this family. All of us brought together by Jesus. That's the story of all of scripture when you look at it. It's God was creating for himself a family. That's what Adam and Eve were. He told them, go out and have babies and fill the earth because I want a big family. That's what my desire is as a father. I want a big family. But sin destroyed that. When they sinned, it broke off the relationship that they were always intended to have with God. But God wasn't stopped by that because his desire was for a family and nothing and no one can stop God's plans and purposes. That's what we see. It's why he reveals himself to Abraham. It's not just to bless Abraham, but it's so that he can turn one man into one family that's following after him and that knows him. That one family he then causes to turn into a nation of people who are following after him. An entire nation, the family of God. And then when Jesus comes and dies on the cross, it opens the floodgates so that now all of us can live out what it was that we were all created to be and created to do. We could all people from every nation, tribe, and tongue could be adopted into this family of God where we know 
our Heavenly Father, as our Father, not a distant God, but the Father who loves us, who cares for us, who provides for our souls, the Father who's given us other brothers and sisters. That's what a family is, and that's what the, the church is, and it's the environment that we need for our faith to grow, to mature, and to bear fruit. My family, I have a great family. Like my little sister, she texted me, she was live-streaming the first service, and she's like, hey, fatty, not bad for a fat boy. So I hope you're watching again. <laughs> but I love my family, and what I'm doing with my life has been in large part not because of me. It's because of what my family provided for me. Because my family was a good, healthy family that was following after Jesus, and so it propelled me into my destiny. My family was the biggest privilege that I have ever received in my entire life or that any of us could ever receive because a family is the place where children are meant to grow and to mature into all of the things that God has for them. And the church family is the same way. This is the place where we come in as spiritual infants, but we're adopted into a family. And we can't just live life on our own orphans. It turns into Lord of the Flies. It doesn't go well if you don't have a family. Can you follow after Jesus if you're not part of a church family? Yes, can you be a Christian if you're not a part of a church family? Yes, absolutely. But will you be in the environment where your faith can thrive and where it can flourish and produce eternal fruit? No. The best place for that to happen is in a church family. And this is why. In a family, it says the church is where I am loved and accepted. One of the greatest things that you receive from a family is love and acceptance. My parents and my sisters they love me more my parents probably. <laughs> they love me and they accept me unconditionally. That doesn't mean that it's because I'm perfect and because I am flawless and I have never done anything to give them reason to reject me. I certainly have done that. But in every time I deserved rejection, they loved me. Every time I made myself despicable, they still accepted me. That doesn't mean that my con there weren't consequences for my actions. It doesn't mean that they approved of or affirmed of everything that I did because they certainly didn't. A healthy family doesn't approve and affirm everything you do in your life. When you're doing something that's destructive and wrong, they want to bring correction to that. But even if you were the most despicable person, I love a mother's love. Every time you see these people that are on death row because they did these just horrific things, the rest of the world thinks they deserve this or getting what they deserve, blah, 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 terrible person. But you know what their mom thinks? I love them. I'll never stop loving them. They're worthy of love. That's the way your parents view you. It's the way that they should view you, at least. It's the way that we think of our children. We love them. We accept them without, without boundaries. We accept them without limit. It's an unconditional love and acceptance. And every single one of us needs that. Every person has a need built inside of them. It's the way God created us, is that we have this need to be loved and to be accepted by others. We find that in our family, from our parents and from our siblings. At least that's the way God created it to be. But we also need that from a bigger family. We need that from our spiritual family, which is the church. Jesus was teaching, and all the crowds were gathered to him. And his mom and his uh, brothers, they come up to him, and his disciples go to Jesus and say, hey, your mom and your brothers are, are looking for you. Come on, we got to go meet with them. And Jesus makes this really... This is a huge idea of a point that he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Those who do the will of God. What Jesus is saying is that you have a family that's bigger than your biological family. We all need a family that's bigger than the nuclear family that we were born into. 
And for some of you, you weren't born into a good family. You didn't receive the things from them that God intended for you to receive from them. The good news is that you have a family that's bigger than you can imagine. It's made up of millions and hundreds of millions, maybe even billions of people who are your brothers, who are your sisters, who are your family. You've all been united together in Christ Jesus, and they love you, and they accept you unconditionally. That's one of the things that you need for your faith to grow and to flourish, and it's found in the church like you can't find it anywhere else. The church is where faith and identity are passed down to me. I'm a brown. That means that growing up, I learned the code of conduct that the browns lived their life by. There was a way that the browns did things. Uh, there, was, there was something that we carried with our name. And my grandparents, they were sure to make sure that I followed after that. My parents were sure to make sure that I lived the way that a brown is supposed to live. I received identity from that. I began to understand who I was because I began to understand who my family was. And they began to pour identity into me. They told me what it was that they saw in me. They told me who it was that I was created to be. And then they also passed faith down to me. My parents were always teaching me about Jesus and his love for me. But it was bigger than just my parents. It was, I mean, I grew up in the same church from the day I was born to the day that I left for college. We were in the same church for 18 years. And it wasn't even my favorite church in the whole world by any stretch of the imagination, but I had family there who loved me. They accepted me. And I had family there who was passing down an identity to me and who I am in Jesus Christ, who I am as a Christian, who I am as someone who's following after Jesus. And they also passed down to me <clears throat> the faith that I am now living out. Felt board Jesus. I still remember we had Sunday school back then. We had felt board Jesus, and there's felt board Zacchaeus climbing the felt board sycamore tree. And I had people who took time out of their life on Sunday mornings to invest in me. There were people who were checking up on me, saying, hey, how, whatever sport that I'm doing, how is that going? Are you doing what your mom told you to? I had other people, older guys, uh, who, I mean, even still to this day, hey, you buy your wife flowers this week? Uh, <laughs> even though they were giving me identity, they were passing something down to me. Every single one of us need to have people in our lives who are passing down identity or helping us realize who it is that we really are and who are passing the faith of Jesus Christ down to us. None of us came to faith by ourselves. There was someone else that passed that faith down to you. That's what the apostles did. There were apostolic leaders in the church who were guarding the faith, who were preserving the faith and passing that faith down to all of those who came after them. You need to be a part of a family that's going to pass down an identity and a faith to you when you find that in the church. The church is where I learned to love. Kids aren't born knowing how to love. If you don't have kids, you might not realize that, but if you have kids, you definitely understand that they do not know how to love when they were born. It's something that they learn. And for me, I have a two-month-old little girl, and I love this because she's, she's starting to smile now, which is the greatest thing in the whole world. It's gone from just eating and burping her to now she actually smiles at me every now and then. And what they've discovered, I was reading some studies this year, is that children don't learn to love and they don't learn to express love unless love is being expressed to them. They'll take like two kids, same age, but one is not receiving love. Maybe it's they're a part of, you know, some kind of a bad family dynamic. And then they'll take the kid who's, you know, they got the dad like me. He's like, ooh, 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 and I'm ooing and eyeing over my baby, and I'm smiling at her and telling her how much I love her. Well, what that does is it wires her brain as a, as a little infant to receive love and then also to begin to express love in the way that she's receiving it. 
So now, spending two months of just going googly eyes at her and ooing and aahing over her, has taught her how to receive and now also how to begin to express love to me. I've seen other kids who just seem emotionally numb, and you think, like, what's wrong with them? It's because nobody ooed and aahed over them and expressed that kind of love to them, so their brains were never wired to be able to receive and express love that way. The same thing happens to us spiritually. Do you know why you love Jesus? It's not because you decided to love Jesus because you don't just decide to do that. It's because you first received love from him. This is what happens when we're a part of a church and when you're coming here on Sunday mornings. is You come to a place where the Heavenly Father is looking at you and he's ooing and he's eyeing over you. He's telling you how much he loves you. He's telling you how cherished you are how beautiful you are, how fearfully and wonderfully made you are. And you start, it starts to rewire your brain and how you receive love from God. And then you begin to express love back to him. Jesus talks about this in the parables of, you know, one person's forgiven, let's say, like a dollar, and the other person's given $10,000. Who's going to love that person more? The person that was forgiven of the $10,000 debt. Why? Because they've received more love. The more we understand how great God's love is for us, the more we're going to love him in return. And it happens for us too. It's not just the love that we learn to have for God, but the love that we learn to have for each other. It's in the church that you learn to love people who are very different from you. If we're all just on our own, have you noticed that we have a thing called cliques, right? And what a clique is, is a bunch of people who look like you, think like you, act like you, talk like you, vote like you, like the same foods you like, all of that kind of stuff. So really, by nature, we're not drawn to love people at all. We're, by nature, lovers of those who are just like us. And we love people in proportion to the amount of which they reflect our glory and our way of viewing life. When you come into a family, though, you're, it's amazing how that happens. If you have a sibling, at least one of them is just like the polar opposite of you, and you just, like, that's your relationship. But in that family, you learn to love someone who's very different from you. You learn not to just be a lover of yourself, but you learn to love other people. And you learn to think of them more than you think of yourself. You learn to put their needs above your own needs. The church is the place of where that happens the church is also where I learned to forgive. If you've been a part of a family, you might have experienced some conflict at some point. Daily, at some point, you experienced conflict. And to truly love someone means that you have to be able to forgive them when they wrong you. There's no place better for you to learn to forgive people than in the church. My sisters, who I love to death, they weren't always perfect. One time my parents were away and my older sister was in charge and we'd just gotten a new dishwasher. And the box for it was great to play in until they both sat on it and kept me in there and wouldn't let me out. And then I discovered I was claustrophobic. Like, I was freaking out. And, like, I couldn't even beat my way out of the cardboard box. That's how much I really do need to go back to the gym. And, and I was, like, so mad at them. Because they would do that to me. It's like, did you consider what it was that I was going through? You were just concerned about your own amusement of locking me in a box. I had to learn to forgive them. My sisters had to learn to forgive me. Uh, we just celebrated Halloween. Halloween meant that I would go out, get all the candy, and eat it by the next day. 
My sisters rationed it out. They counted it out and figured how many pieces a day they got to eat to make it last for the next year. So I'd always find their candy, and I would go, and I would eat their candy. Why? Because I was thinking about myself and what I wanted, and so I stole from them. I'm glad that they learned to forgive me for that. But a lot of times as we grow up, we become less forgiving of other people. Because now we can control our environment more. We can control our lives more. We have the ability to block people out. You can't block out your sibling when you're living at home because they're just there all the time. You have to learn to forgive them. But when you become an adult, now you don't have to forgive people anymore. You can create an environment that's completely under your control and where you feel safe and protected and never have to love or forgive other people. But when we come together as a church, we're all just kids who got big people bodies but still act like kids most of the time, and we still wrong each other, we still offend each other, we still lie, cheat, steal, and do all of these other things. We misread situations, we miscommunicate things, we disappoint each other, let each other down, but we're a family. We're brothers and sisters, and Jesus forgave us of so much. I was guilty of treason against the King of Heaven, and he forgave me. So I better be forgiving of those who have offended me and done something far less serious than what I did to Jesus. The church is the place where you learn to forgive. The church is where I'm encouraged and challenged. No matter how many times I might fail, my parents believed in me. They encouraged me to get back up and go after the things that God had called me to. They encouraged me on the way. But they also challenged me and said, I know that you are meant for more. I know that you can do better. When I wanted to just settle for something or when I wanted to give up, they were there offering me encouragement but also challenging me and spurring me on to more. You're going to encounter moments like that in your faith where the vision isn't happening as fast as you thought. You're going to want to give up on the dream of God. Maybe you go through a loss and you start wondering, you know, God, how could you let this happen? Are you really good? What's going to happen is your brothers and sisters in Christ are going to be the ones who come around you and they encourage you and say, don't give up. You are meant for more than this. They're going to encourage you to go back out there and to try again. They're going to encourage you to get back up on your feet and to stand again. But they're also going to challenge you and say that you were meant for more than what you're living now. When you slip up, when you mess up, they're going to come not to condemn you, but they're going to come to offer you the conviction that only a brother or sister can give you, that you were meant for more. Go after everything that Jesus has called you to. The church is where I am trained and equipped. It's actually what the staff of a church is supposed to do. We're actually not counselors. We're actually, most of us, pretty bad at that, to be really transparent. Uh, but like our job as the church leaders is we want to train you and equip you for the family business. Being in my family meant that we ran a campground. And so from a young age, my dad was teaching me how to do things like clean bathrooms and wash dishes. He was teaching me how to sell camp t-shirts and how like, I learned to play music because I was playing in a band at the camp and things like that. But there was a family business that I was a part of, so my dad was training me and he was equipping me to do what the family does. And it's the same for us, is that we're a part of a family. And this family has a business. We're about being disciples of Jesus Christ, meaning we're following after him with everything we can, spurring each other on to go after Jesus and make him the greatest pursuit of our life and to live in intimacy with him. And we're also about making more disciples of Jesus Christ. And in the church, you're going to find people who are going to train you and who are going to equip you to do all of the things that God has called you to do so that you can be a part of the family business of being a disciple and making disciples of Jesus Christ. The church is where I use my gifts to glorify Jesus and to serve my family. Now, every single one of us, we have gifts, talents, abilities that God gave us, 
And for most of us, we use them to try to build a platform for ourselves to feel some significance, to feel a sense of worth, and also to make money so that we can eat and do things like that. Those aren't the primary reasons why God gave you the gifts, though. The primary reasons why God gave you these gifts is so that you can glorify him, so that you can use the gifts and the talents and the abilities that he's given you, not to build a platform for yourself or to exalt yourself or make yourself feel like you're worthy or important. It's to use these gifts to show other people how worthy Jesus is, how important he is. And it's that we use these gifts not just to, to make a way for our family, which I'm glad God gave us some gifts so that we can work and have jobs that we can hold and have places to live and food to eat. But he also gave you these gifts, more importantly, to use to serve the church family that you have. We have people that are using their gifts in kids' ministry to teach our children and to serve the family, our local family here, to serve our family so that our kids will know and love Jesus. We have people that even come in and use their ability to clean. We had someone last week that was saying, I can't believe how clean your bathrooms are. I wish my bathrooms at home were this clean. Well, thank you that someone used their abilities to come in and clean a bathroom so someone else came in and felt like they had been served and that they were important and they were valuable. Thank God for that. Everybody wants to be a teacher. Uh, really, we're, we're a dime a dozen. All I can do is get up here and talk about Jesus. That's my only gift in all of this life. But what we need is a lot more people that are doing other things to actually serve each other and to demonstrate love and to create a place where other people can come in and grow as a disciple and where other disciples can be made. God's given you gifts so that you can use them for his glory and also to serve the family that's around you. And then the church is where I encounter Jesus. Every single day, I encounter Jesus. It's hard not to encounter him since he's omnipresent. But there are times when our eyes are more open to who he is. We're more aware of his tangible presence amongst us. And you will never find that like you do when you gather with the church. When we gather together and we lift up our songs and we worship and put all of our attention on him as a family, his presence is magnified and it's amplified in a way that we don't experience when we're on our own. We need to spend time with Jesus on our own, but there also needs to be the family gathering every Sunday where we're coming together and corporately seeking after him together. And when we do that, we encounter him in a way that's special, beautiful, and unique, in a way that you can only find with the church. And then it goes on in Hebrews, actually, skipping over that. The writer of Hebrews talks about the importance of the church. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day is drawing near. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that the church, it isn't optional. If we want to be those who have the seed of faith planted in us and it grows and it produces fruit, that being a part of the church isn't an option. It's the only environment we can live in where that's going to be a reality inside of our lives. And he's reminding the people of this. He's reminding them, listen, I know it's really tempting. Even 2,000 years ago, people wanted to sleep in on Sunday mornings. Like, that's a part of the human nature. Nobody wants to get up early on Sunday morning and go to church. 2,000 years ago, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging people, wake up early. 
He's saying, I know that it's tempting to just, you know, try to get ahead in the work week. I know it's tempting to go to brunch or to go to a spa or, you know, like there's, there's rivers and fields and all kinds of other things that, that are calling to us and that we want to go spend our time in leisure things. But what he's saying is that it, your faith growing and producing fruit in your life and not becoming someone whose faith ends up plateauing, declining, and burning out, it's so important for you that your faith continues to grow and to move forward that you can't neglect getting together with your church family. I've seen this a million times. Someone loves Jesus and they're on fire and the faith starts to grow. Then other things start to come up. They start to drop off. And they remove themselves from the gathering of the saints, which is the environment where our faith grows. Now they're not encouraged. They're not challenged. They're not being loved and accepted. They're not learning to love. They're not having to practice forgiveness. They're not having to do all of those things that exist when we gather together as a church. The faith plateaus. And then it begins to decline. And they come to a faith where the place where the fire of their faith has burned out. The church is important. I know it's been really devalued in our society. I know that the church isn't perfect. Like nobody gets it, the church isn't perfect more than someone that leads a church. Like I have the best view of it of anybody in the whole world. But this is how important the church is. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The church is so important that Jesus gave up his life to create it. Why would he do that? Because he knew that the church would be the environment where your faith would grow where your faith would produce fruit that last. And that outside of the church, you could follow after him. You could go to heaven, but you'd be removed from the river that brings you life and allows you to produce fruit in every season and have leaves that do not wither. Jesus loves the church so much that he gave up his life for her. And when I got married 12 years ago, Ann and I, we were plotting out. It was like dreaming about going to the gym, what my body going to look like. We were dreaming about what our marriage was going to look like, what our life was going to look like 40, 50 years down the road. When we left this earth, what was it that our life was going to have produced? What would be the fruit of it? Because all of us are producing fruit in our life, but we wanted fruit that would be eternal, that would last, that would be pleasing to God. And one of the decisions that we made was that we were going to be committed and fully engaged in the church. And in those 12 years of our marriage, I can think of one Sunday in the 12 years that we weren't in church, not counting the weeks where we were recovering from childbirth or surgery. When we go on vacation, it's not that we don't go on vacation, but we go on vacation and we find a church somewhere to go to. I was in Fort Myers last fall and I found a church meeting in a movie theater, a portable church, and I called them up, see what their service times were. And I got there at 6 a.m. so I could do setup with them. I didn't do teardown, I cut out for that. But I went there and I did set up with them. And what I discovered was that I had brothers and sisters in Fort Myers, Florida who loved me and who I loved and who encouraged me and spurred me on that I had never met before. And I was so glad that I woke up and I went to church that morning. And I encountered Jesus. But it's a commitment. But it's a commitment and it's a discipline that will produce fruit, produce fruit in your life. Ann and I, now 12 years later, we, haven't, we don't have a perfect marriage. We haven't lived a perfect life. But in these 12 years, we've seen a lot of fruit that's been produced in our life together. 
And the greatest decision that led to our faith producing fruit was the decision that we were going to be fully committed and fully engaged in the local church. We had the right seed. We had the right soil. We just had to place ourselves in the right environment. I'm so glad that we did. I'm so glad that we did. That's what I want for all of you. I want to see your lives produce fruit. It's not for me as I say, oh, look at our attendance was up. Who cares? Nobody. But I want it for you so badly. I don't want to see you become the people who are so passionate about Jesus once, who are so filled with promise and potential and hope for the things that God would do in you and through you. But you just didn't develop the discipline and the commitment to fully engage in the environment where your faith would grow. And because of that, the fire in your heart grew cold and it went out. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. It doesn't mean that you're not following Jesus. But what it does mean is that you'll never be able to take hold of everything for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. You stand with me this morning? Let's just spend a moment praying together. For some of you, You've never joined the family. You've never made that decision that you wanted to follow after Jesus. But this morning, he's calling to you. He's extending the invitation. He's saying, come to my table. Come into my family. I've made a way for you. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you haven't done. It's not about what you have to do yourself to make yourself presentable. It's about what I did on the cross to forgive your sins. My heart is for you. I have a life to offer you that you could never imagine or dream of for yourself a life of freedom, a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of knowing me and walking into all the plans and purposes I created you for. And this morning, just accepting that invitation, say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me, that though my sins separated me from you, that you forgave me of my sins on the cross. And now I put my faith in you. I'm gonna follow after you. You get to define truth. You get to define reality. You get to direct my life. Lead me into your goodness. Or maybe it's this morning you haven't been fully engaged in the church. Maybe it's that there's this other things that were capturing your attention. Maybe there was an offense that was in your heart, some unforgiveness because of something that happened. This morning, Jesus wants you to grow. I'm not saying that condescendingly. We all have been there. We've all had to work through this, and I want that for you. I don't want unforgiveness or an expectation that wasn't met to become something that separates you from your family. And this morning, the Holy Spirit can give you the power to forgive, the power to learn to love, the power to accept someone, even in their weaknesses and their faults. And when you do that, you become more like Jesus. And your faith grows, and eternal fruit is brought out of that. Jesus, I pray this morning that you would stir up a passion in our hearts for you. God, not just for you, but we know that you're passionate about the church, that you laid your life down for the church. God, would you stir up passion in our hearts for the church, for our brothers and for our sisters. God, that we come into this church, into the environment where we receive from you, God, that we be fully engaged and committed to her. God, in spite of all the faults, in spite of all of the flaws that are a part of us, God, that we would still be able to see 
this family like you see it, to love this family like you love it, and that we would be able to grow together into the fullness of everything that you have for us, God, that our faith would produce eternal fruit because you are so worthy of it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to take communion this morning. And the ushers are about to pass out the elements. And there's two cups stacked on top of each other. Just grab one of those stacks and hold on to it. And then once they're all passed out, we're going to take communion together as a church. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. Would you sing this with me? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Your love has called my name. I've been born again to your family your blood flows through my veins I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I not natural born but adopted in chosen by Christ Jesus and it was at a great cost to himself to make that happen as we take the bread this morning remember that Jesus' body was broken on the cross so that we could be made whole and on the cross Jesus removed the sin he didn't just cover our sin but he removed the sin that had separated us from him, that made us be an outcast from his family through the blood that he shed on the cross. Now when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't just see someone that was forgiven and, and see all of the sins and all the things that have been done to you. He looks at you and he sees a pure, spotless bride without wrinkle or blemish because of what he's done for you on the cross. As we drink the juice together, we remember the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Jesus, thank you. You did for us what we can never do for ourselves. You gave us a family. We were orphans. Now we have a father. And now we have brothers and sisters. Help us to love you. Help us to love our family that we can take hold of everything that you took hold of us for. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen. The usher is going to pass around some buckets that you can drop your cups off in. I'm also going to invite the prayer partners to come forward. I'm just going to be in the front and the outsides here. If there's anything we can pray for you about, then please let us pray for you. This is what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. It's not weird that you need prayer. It's weird if you never need prayer. So come, let us pray for you, encourage you. Let us be family to you. And if not, go out, drink some coffee, spend some time getting to know your family, and we'll see you next week. God bless.